Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 220 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode... Management consultants, are they worth it? Now, many companies use consultants of one type or another, and the consulting market can be pretty complicated. In this episode, my intention is to give you the best possible analysis of the management consulting market from my years of experience as a corporate client at many different levels. My hope is that this will make it easy for you to understand if, when, and how to engage a consultant. And if you actually are a consultant listening to this, Hopefully, it's going to give you a better understanding of how to position yourself in a very competitive market. There are many different types of consulting firms, and it pays to know your way around the market at least well enough to work out which ones might be able to help you solve a problem that you can't solve yourself, whether it's developing a new corporate strategy, embarking on a restructure, uh, improving workforce productivity, or reducing the baseline costs of your business. There is absolutely a consultant for every occasion. But it's also easy to spend money with the expectation of achieving stunning results and then finding out a year or two down the track that you're no better off than when you started. So I'll begin by looking at how the consulting market is segmented and ask the question, why would you hire a management consultant? I'll then narrow the focus to the top tier of the market to look at what really makes them different. I'll take a closer look at some of the recent controversies surrounding the high-end management consulting firms and... I'll finish with some traps for young players that you should be wary of if you're considering engaging a management consultant. So, let's get into it. During my corporate career, I engaged consultants from all ends of the spectrum for a range of different reasons. I was extremely fortunate to be able to work closely with McKinsey on a range of projects over a course of several years. I learned a huge amount from this experience, and in the interest of full disclosure, I even gave a keynote presentation at a McKinsey customer conference in Bangkok in 2012. 
I also had the opportunity to work with Boston Consulting Group, who's better known as BCG, but to a slightly lesser extent. Today, I'll predominantly take a look at the high end of the management consulting market, the firms known as MBBs. Now, MBB is an acronym for the three top management consulting firms, McKinsey, Bain, and BCG. These are genuinely the Rolls Royces of the consulting world. But there are plenty of other options too. So for example, I worked extensively with another management consultant, Partners in Performance, and that company's sort of full of ex-MBB partners, directors, and consultants. They're experts at finding and extracting productivity improvements. I've also worked with all of the big four accounting firms, EY, PwC, KPMG, and Deloitte. And although the big four are known for their accounting and audit work, they do offer quite a broad range of services. So typically, you'd appoint one of them to audit your corporate accounts. But they also do consulting work and the hands-on implementation of things like technology transformations. Now, in my experience, some of these engagements were a roaring success. And others? Well, the stuff that nightmares are made of. Way back in my CIO days, I worked frequently and deeply with the likes of IBM, Accenture, Fujitsu, and CSC. And these are more tech-oriented firms. Now, I have to say, for every one successful engagement in the tech space, there were two others that were unmitigated disasters. And look, I guess that's technology, right? I don't know of any major IT implementation project that genuinely hit its time and budget constraints and still delivered the value and the benefits that were promised at the outset. Uh, Then, of course, there are the boutique specialist firms. They create value by bringing expertise that the company doesn't have internally. So, for example, firms that do complex economic modelling, or uh, companies that specialise in highly complex mine planning. When I think of deep experts in relatively narrow specialisations, I think of companies in Australia like Acel Allen, which is run by Paul Hislop. They are unparalleled experts in modelling and predicting market outcomes against a backdrop of an incredibly complex and dynamic energy industry. And then, of course, there are a million individuals who hang a shingle and look to do consulting work for anyone who will hire them. And don't get me wrong, many of these can be incredibly effective in the right situation. No matter which consultant you decide to hire, they're going to cost you a bunch of money. So why would you hire them? Well, I have three basic criteria. The first is capability. This is probably the most common reason why companies engage management consultants. There are many times when you're going to need a short-term injection of skills that you simply don't have internally. But it's not just the extra smarts. It's also the access to the intellectual property that a consultant has acquired by working with other clients like you in many different industries and different markets. Used wisely, this is a really good reason for bringing in a consultant. The second is capacity. It's often the case that you need to implement some changes to the way your company operates, but you simply don't have the people power and capacity to focus on it and to get it done. If you don't bring in external resources, trying to stretch your own people more can often damage the day-to-day business, and this can have long-term implications. So the ability to flex your capacity with capable resources who can focus on a specific task for a short period of time can be a really effective way to solve a problem. The third reason is independence. 
Now, with things like financial audit, external stakeholders need to know that there's been a level of independent scrutiny. Uh, Independent peer review of major investment cases is another manifestation of this. Many management teams suffer from moral hazard. They're incentivized to get certain outcomes, and they can bend or break the rules to achieve that. Boards love to appoint independent consultants to report directly to them and to give them direct feedback on what's going on in the parts of the company that they can't necessarily see. Well, that sounds pretty useful to me too. Let's just swing back to the MBBs. What makes them different? Well, let's start with price. They are eye-wateringly expensive, which is why not many companies can afford to use them. They're at the top of the pile, and by definition, they command very significant fees. How significant? Well, confidentiality obligations prevent me from divulging the sorts of fees I've seen paid to the MBBs over the years. What I can say, though, is that even when I ran a relatively large company in Australia, over a billion dollars in annual revenues and almost 450 million in EBITDA, I couldn't justify engaging an MBB when there were other less expensive options available. To give you an idea of the size of the overall MBB market, in 2000, the MBB firms earned around $5 billion globally between them. But this has grown to an estimated $30 billion today. On the upside, they are genuinely different. Not only do they get results for you that you couldn't otherwise achieve, but they're also a pointed example of how to do business. If you look at how they run their businesses, you will get an absolute masterclass in brand differentiation and customer experience. There's nothing like working with an MBB if you want the smartest smarts, the broadest global reach, and a level of VIP service that you could only dream of when trying to solve your company's most wicked problems. In fact, based on the model, I'd even go so far as to describe the high-end consulting services offered by the MBBs as Veblen goods. Now, this is a term named after the economist Thorsten Veblen, who observed over a century ago that there are certain products that break the standard supply and demand relationship. What you'd normally expect to see in a supply-demand relationship is that as the price of any product or service increases, the demand for that product or service decreases. But with Veblen goods, demand actually increases as the price increases. Well, why is this the case? It doesn't really make sense, does it? Veblen goods are typically high-quality goods that are manufactured beautifully and are extremely exclusive. They're sought after by affluent customers who place a premium on being able to attain the highest quality, which they also view as a status symbol. So whether it's a Tiffany necklace, a Gucci handbag, a Patek Philippe watch, or a convertible Bentley. Now my key takeaway from my years of reading, studying, and observing microeconomics is this. All value comes from scarcity. So I don't think it's a stretch to view this as a distinction that puts some clean air between the MBBs and other consulting firms. All right, the $64,000 question. Are MBBs worth it? What do they do well? For a start, they are always ahead of the game. 
Now you think about emerging trends like ESG and the rapid digitization of industries and markets. Many companies are just beginning to turn their minds to these issues and they really don't know where to start. Quoting from an article that I'm going to cite shortly, they say, The consultants, by contrast, have often been thinking about it for years and, given their broad client base, have a good grasp of sectoral and economy-wide best practice. They've also been beefing up their digitization practices by buying outfits with expertise in areas like big data and online marketing. It helps that the trio can point to their own successful digital transformations. Okay, that's pretty true, but it's more than that. They are experts in painting the upside and finding ways to unlock latent value. They take a whole-of-market, whole-of-company view, and sometimes it's almost impossible to get this from inside the business, no matter how good your people are. They spread their learnings of best practice from their global client bases. They bring focus and momentum to solving the toughest problems. They provide expertise and knowledge that you simply can't get anywhere else. For example, you've got a problem that requires a global expert? Well, they'll have access to a global expert who they'll bring into your Sydney offices for a day from Chicago. And don't overlook one of their most important benefits. They provide comfort to senior management teams and boards because they have instant brand credibility. Now, in the 80s, there was a very successful advertising campaign by IBM, and it was aimed at senior managers who were making purchasing decisions. The tagline was, no one's ever been fired for buying IBM. And the same can probably be said these days for management teams in the 21st century that decide to engage an MBV. I've recently read two articles in The Economist, one of which I quoted from a few minutes ago. They were published last month in quick succession of each other. The first was entitled, Where Next for Management's Consigliere? And look, I love the term consigliere, right? If you've never seen the original movie The Godfather, it's the role played by Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen. He's the consigliere, the trusted advisor whose value comes from his wisdom and judgment. But he's actually not part of the company hierarchy, so he doesn't personally benefit from any given outcome or decision. He has a level of independence. The second article was titled, Do McKinsey and Other Consultants Do Anything Useful? So we'll leave links to these articles in the show notes. Now, the catalyst for this interest in McKinsey and the other MBBs seems to be a recently released book called When McKinsey Comes to Town which basically airs all the dirty laundry of top management consulting firms. I haven't got to this book yet, but it's definitely on my reading list. The articles summarise the major controversies uncovered in the book, which basically talks about management consultants behaving badly. Now, it's worth noting that McKinsey's denied that this in any way represents how they do business. But of course, every large global company, no matter how well it's run or how diligent its leaders, will always find pockets of aberrant behaviour. But to be honest, I find myself wanting to step in here to defend McKinsey and their colleagues at Bain and BCG. Amongst the big allegations are price gouging and overcharging unsuspecting clients, particularly governments. Well, look, let's face it. In business, you need to charge your customers what the market will bear. If you don't, you're just leaving money on the table. 
Of course, this is under two provisos. The first is that there is no graft or corruption behind the buying decision. And the second is that it stacks up in the long term and doesn't damage the brand or future relationship. A poor buying decision by a client doesn't necessarily reflect bad behaviour on the part of the management consultancy. And yes, the fees are extraordinarily high, but so is the potential scale of the value to be realised. If you can capture $1 billion of value for your company by spending $20 million with a consulting firm, well, is that worth it? Of course it is. But if you look at the relatively junior status of the consultants involved and the amount of time they spend on the assignment, their hourly rate is obscene. But remember, you're not paying for hours of effort. You're paying for results. And if you get the results, why focus solely on the cost? It's just another example of value over activity. Another major allegation is that the MBBs have done work for regimes that ignore human rights, like Saudi Arabia. Now, I think this issue probably has a stronger line of sight. Merely associating with the wrong people can damage your brand, and they may take an uppercut for this one. This point is further extended to allegations of illegal business practices in Angola and South Africa, which are hotly denied, of course. But this seems to be the most problematic allegation if it's proven to be true. Similar to this one is the allegation of working for companies in sin industries. So, for example, big tobacco, um, oil and gas, opioid manufacturing, and so forth. Well, imagine if my old company, CS Energy, couldn't access the best management consultants because they refused to work with us on the basis of some virtue signaling ethics. We made the bulk of our revenue by generating electricity from fossil fuels like coal. But then, how do we solve the wicked problem of making a smooth, fast, economically viable transition to cleaner, greener energy without imposing massive cost increases on our customers? Something like this requires smarts that most companies simply don't have to face into these existential problems. The article also cites allegations that management consultants promote shady behaviour, like encouraging insurance companies not to pay out motor vehicle claims. Well, look, having worked closely with these guys, I can tell you, they will push the management team to look at ways to improve the efficiency of the business and eliminate leakage. If an insurer is denying claims that are legitimate and valid, well, that's a huge problem. But on the other hand, if that company is paying claims that aren't legitimate, that's leakage. And that pushes up the cost of insurance premiums for everyone else. So will these allegations see a decline in the MBBs? Will these Veblen brands lose their luster? I guess it's possible, but I'd be most surprised if that were the case. They're known as the best for a reason. And despite the recent expose, I don't think there's any doubt that they're still the best. Okay, that took a little longer than I thought, but there's so much to talk about and I've only just scratched the surface. I want to finish with a rapid fire of my 10 traps for young players. Here goes. Trap number one, bait and switch. All consulting firms wheel in their big guns during the sales cycle to show you their capability. You sign them up, and then sometimes you look around a month or two later and you've got the B team. Trap two, overextending 
to consultants' non-core capabilities. It's horses for courses, right? So just beware of the halo effect. Just because a consulting firm is awesome at helping you analyze markets and competitors doesn't mean that that same company will be able to help with people-oriented initiatives. That might not be their long suit. Trap three, the security blanket effect. You'll feel so much better when you engage a high-end management consultant. It could make you feel as though the change in value capture is up to them. It's not. They bring expertise, but management still has to execute. Trap four, over-reliance and lock-in. Now there's an old saying, if I owe you $100, I've got a problem. But if I owe you a million dollars, you've got a problem. Many companies, and I'm thinking particularly of big long-term engagements like Defence Force projects and major tech system implementations. Once you go a certain way down the track, it becomes increasingly difficult to break the reliance on your consultant, even if their performance is weak. Trap 5. Insufficient internal capability. The expertise, drive and smarts of the management consultant is only on hire. If you aren't building your own internal capability at the same time, things will revert to BAU as soon as the consultants disappear. Right, almost there. The final five traps for young players. Trap six. Insufficient management appetite for change. Well, like I say, if you don't want the answer, then don't ask the question. You'd be amazed at how many boards, CEOs and senior execs spend a small fortune on consulting reports and then don't implement their recommendations. They just don't have the appetite to do the hard yards. Or even worse still, they pretend that they're implementing the recommendations when they're just tinkering around the edges. Trap 7. Value leakage. Be careful when a consultant dazzles you with the size of the prize. Quite often, the value is almost impossible to capture. So for example, I once saw a proposal that cited a $1.8 million saving, based on the fact that a particular process improvement would save every individual in the operations division an hour each week. Yeah, well, good luck capturing that, right? Trap 8. Culture and internal resistance. Lots of things look awesome on paper, but it's almost impossible to overcome the cultural resistance to the change that it would take to make it a reality. You can blow a lot of money trying to do things that the workforce will resist in ways you never thought possible. So make sure you assess this before you spend the big consulting fees. Trap 9. Solving the wrong problem. Make sure you understand your problem properly before you bring the consultants in. I've seen companies react because they've got a problem which they don't fully understand the fundamental nature of. And if management doesn't understand the problem sufficiently, well, it's really hard to brief an external firm so that they understand it. And finally, trap 10, sustainability of outcomes. As I said, getting the short-term benefit of any organisational change is pretty important. But what happens when the consultants leave? You've got to think about building your own capability before, during, and after the engagement. Otherwise, it'll just be an expensive and painful exercise that leaves you no better off than you were in the first place. All right, so that brings us to the end of a bumper episode 220. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. 
So please take a few moments to rate and review the podcast as this enables us to reach even more leaders. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode, Managing External Relationships. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.